What is going on everyone? It is Mason Pierce here, host of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And I want to let y'all know about a little secret, and it's called Anchor by Spotify. It is one of the new and easiest ways to make your own podcast with everything you need all in one single place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the comfort of your phone or computer. And also, when you are hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and whatever platform you choose to post it on. It's everything you need to make a podcast in just one single place. And the best part of all, Anchor is totally free to use. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Get started creating your own podcast or start hosting on a very up-and-coming new platform. Yo, what is going on everyone? It is Mason Pierce here, host of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast, and we are back at it again with another episode. And guys, the NFL draft is officially wrapped up. We will discuss some of the teams that had an amazing draft, in my opinion, and then we'll also talk about some of the losers that were in the draft. We're also going to be talking about a possible tampering case that is going on right now between the University of Pittsburgh and USC football regarding uh, 2021 Blenikoff winner Jordan Addison, which... It's pretty crazy if this whole story does become true because Jordan Addison, he does have to, if he wants to transfer to USC, he has to do it by Sunday night, which I am recording this during the day on Sunday. So obviously in um, Wednesday's episode, we'll talk about the full development if it does happen. And then to finish off the episode, we'll talk about Clayton Kershaw becoming the Los Angeles Dodgers strikeout leader. And then the New York Mets, the Mets continue to dominate. They threw the first no-hitter of the season, which which was a combined no-hitter. It just wasn't just one pitcher, but they did it through 100 and I forgot how many pitches. It was, it, was, it was a buttload of pitches, but nothing less, guys. Before we do get into today's episode, I do want to ask you to please make sure that you are following the official Instagram and TikTok of the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast at Cover 7 with Mason Pierce. The TikTok just hit 100 followers, so thank y'all for real for showing love to the TikTok. The Instagram is pretty much right there at 100 so things are looking up and it's all because of you guys and the constant support you show me every single episode by liking commenting whatever you do just thank y'all seriously for being some of the great you know greatest supporters i could ever imagine but guys let's get into today's episode and obviously as you all know we start off every episode talking about some college football news and the first college football news i do want to talk about and pretty much the biggest college football news that i do want to talk about is regarding 2021 blinnikoff winner and standout pit wide receiver jordan allison now during the offseason pit i think lost their offensive coordinator lost their quarterbacks coach and lost a bunch of you know offensive just offense offensive staff as a whole right so, you know, they were needing to find some guys. I think they went out and got Boston College's old offensive coordinator, which was not horrible, but, you know, things weren't looking that great. They also lost their starting quarterback, Kenny Pickett, to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first round. And, you know, things weren't looking that great. They did get Keaton Slovis from USC via the transfer portal, but Keaton Slovis kind of had a really off year in 2021, you know, later getting benched for Jackson Dart. And it just... I don't really think Jordan Addison wanted to be a part of that. So I understand why Jordan Addison, you know, would put his name into the transfer portal. Now, the one thing that the reason why this whole situation is a mess is not the fact he's entering the transfer portal and wanting to go to USC because I don't blame him. No one blames him. You're going to Lincoln Riley's offense, which heavily favors wide receivers. You know, he's going to have a lot more success in the Pac-12 where secondaries are statistically some of the worst in all FBS. And, you're going to be on a bigger market being out there in Los Angeles for NIL deals, right? The problem with this whole thing is is the fact that apparently behind the scenes, USC had offered him, 
I think a seven-figure NIL deal, like upwards of two to three million dollars a year, just to come to USC. And you know, Pitt once their whole, I guess you could say their not front office, but their whole board found out about this. It even include, and it, even including Pittsburgh's um, head coach Pat Narduzzi, when he caught wind that you know USC and Lincoln Riley were possibly tampering to get Jordan Addison, he called him on Friday multiple times and expressed how much you know what he's doing is wrong and you know that's not the right thing to do so definitely watch out maybe for a lawsuit possibly now it's technically not illegal because usc directly as a university is not giving him an nil deal usc is kind of using a loophole you know going to a certain company or program or whatever and getting them to give um jordan addison that deal but pretty much usc is offering him a huge amount of money just to come to the school which no one in their right mind would deny so no one should be pissed at Jordan Addison for accepting this deal because everyone would do it I don't care who you are you would take this deal if you're getting paid than most NFL players right to go to USC sunny Los Angeles and just play football so yeah it's it's a weird situation going on right now now once again like I did say at the start of the podcast, Jordan would have to, you know, he would have to transfer by Sunday night, you know, in order to be able to go to USC because that is the transfer, like transfer deadline. And if he doesn't transfer before then, then he will have to sit out during the 2022 season. Now, in case you don't know, Jordan Addison, Jordan Addison, in my opinion, is one of the greatest Pittsburgh Panther wide receivers of all time. And yes, he's up there with guys like Larry Fitzgerald. And, you know, he just came off the season where he had 1,500 receiving yards and 17 touchdowns while also, you know, getting the Belenikoff Trophy, which is awarded to the nation's top wide receiver. So, obviously, he was probably going to end up transferring no matter what. Now, I think if Kenny Pickett was still there, he probably would stay. You know, half the coaching staff stayed. He probably would still be. But with NIL and all the new opportunities that are pretty much set right in front of him, considering, yeah, he is one of the bigger names in college football right now, he was going to get paid somewhere. Now, Kentucky apparently also, and this was rumored on Sunday as well, apparently Kentucky also offered him an $800,000 NIL deal, but he refused, which isn't really shocking simply for the fact, once again, all the perks that come with going to USC, bigger market, in my opinion, a lot better state to play in, and the fact you have a lot better teammates and offense because you have you have Caleb Williams who is who's one of the biggest Heisman front runners right now to win the Heisman trophy come next year and you're gonna have him throwing the football which he you know he lived up to that hype during the spring game for USC so it's gonna be an interesting situation to see how this goes once again I personally do not like Lincoln Riley I like Lincoln Riley as a coach and what he brings to the table but just as much of a hypocrite as he is and backstabbing of a person he is. I mean, when Chandler Morris wanted to transfer from Oklahoma to come to TCU, right? And this is not biased. I mean, the whole college football community was pissed. He denied it because he thought, well, that's tampering. TCU obviously wanted him to come there for a while, and then they finally found a way to get him to go there. So he blocked you know, Chandler's transfer, transfer request for the longest time. Finally, I think the NCAA got involved, and they just let him go. And then... Lincoln Riley does the same exact thing, but now it's okay because Lincoln Riley did it versus Gary Patterson at TCU. So I just, it's just, it's just hard, it's just hard to believe the direction that college football is going in, where now schools are going to be paying these kids three to four million dollars a season. Obviously, if you're like the you know top of the top, but these kids will be getting paid 
NFL salaries just to come to a school. And I understand recruiting. I understand perks like, oh, uh, you know, you can use golf cart around campus. You know, something stupid, right? But the fact these kids are going to be getting $4 million NIL deals before they even step a foot on campus, right? And this is and this is even coming out of high school, too, because if you don't remember, five-star um, 2023 quarterback recruit Nico Iamaleva, who just committed to Tennessee a couple weeks ago, he's rumored to be getting an $8 million NIL deal, and he hasn't even stepped foot on Tennessee yet, or any college football team for that matter. So it's scary, the fact the direction is going in. Now, I do like the fact that players are getting paid for their name, image, and likeness, which was the whole reason why, you know, we wanted this to get, because players deserve to get paid, because they are, you know, they are working, they, you know, they deserve to at least get a, you know, a, a check or a chunk out of the piece that a lot of these universities are getting, right, which has been a problem for multiple decades, and I'm glad it finally got resolved last year. The only problem is, when the NCAA allowed this, there was no regulations, there was no restrictions, there's nothing. So it's pretty much the Wild West in terms of recruiting. So schools are able to bypass some of these rules by allowing a company to pay a kid $8 million just to come to their school. So I don't, I don't mean to keep rambling, but I do think it is something definitely to worry about if the NCAA does not step in and at least put some restrictions and boundaries. I do Once again, I do think players should be getting paid you know, 100k, 200k. But the fact some of these kids are getting paid more than some of their head coaches and coaching staff, it's going to kind of bring an NFL dynamic where now it's like, why would I listen to you? I'm getting paid more than you. I'm practically going to make it to the NFL anyway. And we've seen it in the NFL. A lot of guys that are you know, getting paid top dollar, they're not going to listen to some of these coaches because why would they? They're under them in regards to pay. So there's no reason for them to. But nothing less. Jordan Addison is an amazing wide receiver. And if he does go to USC – that will be huge for Lincoln Riley and them because now you'll have pro arguably the number one wide receiver in the country at USC. You have the number one quarterback in the country at USC. And I guess you could say they have the number one head coach in the country at USC. Now, in terms of offense, he's the number one of the top head coaches in college football. Defensive-wise, I still think he needs to address a lot of issues because good gravy do they have way too many holes. And if you watch their spring game too – they were giving up a bunch of just lob passes. Like, stuff that is easy picks, they were giving up. Easy deflections, they were giving up. I mean, they didn't show any type of relentlessness like we're used to seeing from old, you know, USC defenses. Guys like Troy Polamalu, you know, Willie McGinnis, and all of them. So, definitely keep your eyes peeled for, you know, how the story develops. Because this is going to be another one of those, you know, butterfly effect rippling effect situations because this will change the whole landscape of college football because if schools find out they're able to do this and it's legal you're going to see Alabama you're going to see Georgia you're going to see Florida all those huge SEC schools probably A&M especially the way they've been recruiting kids out of high school definitely expect them if this situation actually does become okay for them to be over at like Bears trying to eat, get some honey so but yeah besides the fact I do think it's it's a really crazy world we're living in right now college football wise where Kids are literally getting contracts to come play for schools. I mean, it's, it's just weird to say because if I thought this five years ago, I'd say you were insane, right? I knew I knew players were going to get paid, but I never thought it would be it, it would become pretty much the NFL point five, right? Where you got NFL 1.0, current NFL, then now you got like the G League, I guess you could say for the NFL. But regardless, Jordan Addison is going to be Jordan Addison is going to get paid, and I hope he does get paid. Honestly. 
for, as a human being wise, I hope he does get money because that'll be huge for him and his family. But I do think there does need to be a certain restriction when it comes to tampering with players at different schools. Now, for the next news we have, it's regarding former TCU defensive end O'Shawn Mathis. Now, personally, I'm a huge O'Shawn stan. I love O'Shawn Mathis. The past couple years he played at TCU, he was a stud. I know 2021 wasn't as good of a year for him as he as he only put up four sacks and seven tackles for loss in 12 games, which is not horrible, but... I mean, he, he definitely in the 2021 season, he had more of a presence than anything. And also the fact, you know, Gary was pretty much on his way out halfway through the year was kind of probably hard on him too. But nonetheless, O'Shawn had entered the transfer portal a couple months back, and he had come down to his final five schools, which included Penn State, USC, Ole Miss, Texas, and Nebraska. Now, in case you don't know, O'Shawn, he is down – here he's from around the Austin area, so Texas was a huge front runner to land him, right? And the fact that Gary Patterson joined the Longhorns as an assistant, it pretty much looked like a match made up in heaven. They do run a forefront, which that's where O'Shawn strives, and that was another reason why he left TCU because TCU was switching to a 3-3-5 defense, and O'Shawn would kind of get screwed over because he couldn't be on the edge like he always is. Now, his final two final two decisions were between Nebraska and Texas, which when you look at a first glance, you're like, okay, it's Texas. Nebraska has no chance in hell. But apparently, when he went up to go visit Nebraska, he had an amazing time. Coaches loved him. He loved. I mean, it. It's. It started to kind of change tides, and I mean, I started to see it as well. I mean, I wasn't shocked he chose Nebraska because he seemed to really enjoy his time up there. Well, O'Shawn, he did end up committing to Nebraska last Saturday, and. I expect him to have, you know, this will be his final year in college football. Obviously, he's going to be probably a high prospect coming in, you know, to the next year's draft. And simply because of what he could bring, to, what he brings to you at the table with a huge frame and, you know, in my opinion, great quickness. So, nothing less, O'Shawn will be going to Nebraska. Make sure to watch out for him, all you Frog fans that do listen to this podcast. I still love you, O'Shawn. I wish you the best of luck up there in Lincoln. Make sure to go ball out. Ball out. And, yeah. So that, now it does sting a little bit. I'm glad you didn't go to Texas. O'Shawn, I'm glad you did not go to Texas, but it still hurts we did lose him. But anyway, best of luck, O'Shawn. I hope you do amazing things up in Nebraska. Now the next news we have, it's regarding former Arizona State edge rusher Eric Gentry. Now Eric, he's looked at as one of the you know top young players in the Pac-12, and once he entered the transfer portal, I knew there were numerous teams that were after him, specifically a lot of West Coast schools. But... Once again, if y'all thought USC was done recruiting, they were not. They went out and got Eric Gentry to come to Los Angeles and come play for Lincoln Riley and the Trojans. Now, last season, you know, he struggled with injuries, but fighting through those injuries, he ended up still getting 45 tackles, which five of them were for a loss. So he still had a huge presence on the field for the Sun Devils, who as a whole were not that great considering the whole Herm Edwards and just the coaching staff situation and all the players, right? But nothing less... Getting him is a huge boost for that defense, which we all know USC, they don't need to have a tremendous defense to win in the Pac-12, right? They need to just not allow you know teams to score more than maybe 25 a game average because if they can do that, Caleb Williams will pretty much single-handedly, you know, alongside you know, Mario Williams, possibly Jordan Addison if he does come to USC, you know, single-handedly carry that team to win games. Now, if we're talking about them possibly making the college football playoff and going, you know, for a national championship, the defense has to step up. Because when you play Georgia and you play Alabama, specifically Alabama really in their offense, you're going to have to come come up huge. And the fact that Alabama got a lot of huge key transfer portal acquisitions over the offseason – 
that defense is going to have to be A1, you know, almost like Georgia level. We even saw during the national championship game uh, back in January when Georgia took on Alabama, Georgia's defense, who I guess you could say now is one of the more historically known defenses, they pretty much got kind of ran over too if Jamison Williams did not get injured in the first half. It could have been a whole different ball game. So definitely USC is going to have to step it up when it comes to playing in the postseason. But for Pac-12 play, I do think they'll be fine. I think Oregon and Utah and those type of schools might give them a run for their money. But nothing less, USC should still glide through the Pac-12 easily and probably win a Pac-12 championship in their first year with Lincoln Riley. Now for our next news we have, and it's still regarding the transfer portal, it's regarding former four-star and Arizona State defensive tackle Ezra Dodson Oyetade, which he comes from the Garland, Texas area, which is kind of in the DFW Metroplex, if any of y'all are familiar with it. You know, he was a pretty, I guess you could say pretty highly touted recruit, number 274th ranked player in the class of 2021, so obviously still a really young guy, and once again, you're starting to see a lot more of these Arizona State guys leaving due to the you know, coaching staff and everything like that. The locker room didn't really look that great, especially when Jaden Daniels entered the transfer portal and a lot of the players started clowning him in the locker room. So I think he probably saw what a lot of players are saying, like Eric did as well, where they're like, okay, there's going to be no future here. I need to go somewhere else. And, yeah, so just letting you all know, another four-star recruit has officially entered the transfer portal and he was actually Arizona State's third highest recruit in the 2021 cycle. So it is a huge loss for them because he probably was going to end up, you know, having a decent, you know, decent season this year. Probably was going to get used a lot more, but he does end up entering the transfer portal. Now, for our final college football news, and it's still regarding the transfer portal. Sorry, guys, there was no real huge commitment news over the weekend. But this is regarding former Florida A&M linebacker Isaiah Land, who just entered the transfer portal on Sunday afternoon. Now, in case you don't know who Isaiah Land is, he led the FCS in sacks last year during the 2021 season with 19 sacks and 25 and a half tackles for loss. Obviously, you know, huge numbers. And then to add on top of that, he also had three forced fumbles, two pass breakups, and a one fumble recovery. So, yeah, dude was a stud last year for the Florida A&M Rattlers. Now he does, in, you know, now he does enter the transfer portal with one year of eligibility left, probably because he wants to be able to boost his draft stock at a bigger program. And a lot of teams to look at right now are possibly Georgia and Alabama, specifically Georgia, because they lost pretty much all of their linebackers to the NFL draft. You know, losing guys like Nicobe Dean. So definitely watch out possibly for Georgia to land one of the most sneakily good transfer portal acquisitions we'll see all off season. But yeah, guys, that is it for today's college football news. Now, this, now I know, I know the NFL draft just happened. I don't want to talk about all seven rounds. I'm gonna mostly just list off the first round, and then after that, I will kind of give notes for some of the, you know, some some of the teams that had a decent draft. I'll, obviously, I'll talk about my Dallas Cowboys a little bit. But to start off today's NFL portion, we will be listing off the first round and kind of my thoughts about each single prospect. Now, to start off for the first round, we had the Jacksonville Jaguars with the first pick in the draft, and they took Trayvon Walker, edge edge rusher, out of Georgia. Now, this one wasn't really shocking. As we all heard, Trent Baalke, the GM of the Jaguars, he absolutely loved Trayvon simply for the potential that he brings. I mean, he's got great size. He had a great combine. Now, I do think this one was a reach simply for the fact he didn't have a lot of production in college, and that might be because he was out of place. But I do think if Jacksonville does use him the right way, he could end up being a Pro Bowl-type player. Now, I don't expect him really to do too much in the first year of Jacksonville simply for the fact he's got to develop a lot more. He's not—he's more raw talent, but I do think, once again, 
he could, you know, end up being a lot better as a player. So I'd probably, I'd probably rank it in like the C range. It wasn't horrible, but they definitely could have gone better. Now with the second pick in the draft, the Detroit Lions took Aiden Hutchinson, edge rusher out of Michigan. This one was no surprise at all. Aiden Hutchinson is a Michigan man, played high school football in Michigan, played college football at the University of Michigan, and now he will be returning to Michigan for the Detroit Lions. I mean, when you're six foot seven, Heisman finalist, edge rusher, and you know, got progressively better every single year you were in college, teams are gonna want you, and that's what the Detroit Lions are getting. I feel like Aiden will love Dan Campbell and his style of defense and just his coaching as well. So nothing less great pick for the Detroit Lions. At number three, the Houston Texans, they took Derek Stingley Jr., cornerback out of LSU. Derek Stingley is another kind of situation with Trayvon Walker. Not a bad player. Obviously, he was a unanimous All-American his freshman year in 2019 with the LSU Tigers. Bought out in the playoffs, bought out during the regular season, and showed to probably have one of the best LSU secondary player careers we had ever seen. Now, during the 2020 COVID year and then the 2021 year, Mostly dealt with a lot of issues, but in the times he did play during both years, he played pretty good. So, obviously, he is kind of a project, but at the same time, they need a lot more help in the secondary, and getting a guy like Derek Stanley can help immediately. So, pretty decent pick for the Houston Texans. Now, at number four, the New York Jets, they took Sauce Gardner, cornerback out of Cincinnati. I don't really need to say anything too much about Sauce Gardner. He didn't allow any touchdown receptions in his whole three-year career at Cincinnati. He has great ball hawking ability. The only knock on him is the fact he holds receivers a little bit too long and a little bit too hard, but nothing unless he'll fit right in with Robert Sala and his defense. Now at number five, the New York Giants, they took Kayvon Thibodeau, edge rusher out of Oregon. I was shocked to see Kayvon fall this far. I thought either Detroit or obviously Jacksonville would take him, but the New York Giants, they get a really great edge rusher, which they have been needing. You know, team him up with Ajiz Ojolari, the second-round pick that the Giants had last year. And the New York Giants, their defensive line is kind of looking threatening, not going to lie. Now, at number six, the Carolina Panthers, they took Akeem Ekwandu, offensive tackle out of NC State. Now, Keem is one of the more physically gifted tackle prospects we've seen in the past couple years. I do think that him and Moten, the other tackle for the Carolina Panthers, they will make a pretty steady duo. And now they're still trying to figure out the quarterback situation. They did go and draft Matt Corral, the quarterback out of Ole Miss in the third round, which will probably end up overtaking Sam Darnold if Sam Darnold does not perform this year. So I do think that was a really solid pick for the Carolina Panthers, as we've all seen. You know, Christian McCaffrey needs more help. You know, receivers, they need more help in order to let their quarterback be able to get, you know, have more time in the pocket to throw the ball. So, my opinion is probably, it's a really good pick, a really good long-term pick for the Carolina Panthers. Now, at number seven, the New York Giants, you know, they had five and seven. The New York Giants, they took Evan Neal offensive tackle out of Alabama. I love the fact they went and picked Evan Neal. Evan Neal, on a lot of experts' draft mock drafts, was projected to go number one to the Jaguars for the longest time. I mean, the absolute longest time. So the fact that the that the New York Giants, they got the bet, one of the best pass rushers and arguably the best offensive tackle in the whole draft class in pretty much back-to-back -back picks was absolutely insane. And now the fact that this will take a little bit of the load off of Andrew Thomas, the former first-round pick for the Giants, Giants offensive line starting to get there a little bit more. Now at number eight, the Atlanta Falcons took Drake London, wide receiver out of USC. I definitely thought that Atlanta would probably either go Garrett Wilson or maybe even if they took a stretch, go with Chris Olave. Now, Drake London's not bad. He's six foot five, has great size, more of a red zone threat than anything. 
The only thing that worries me is his speed, which probably could get adjusted a little bit later on in his career, but nothing less. I don't think it's a bad pick, but I do think it was a little bit of a stretch when you had Garrett Wilson still on the board. Now, at number nine, the Seattle Seahawks, they took Charles Cross, offensive tackle out of Mississippi State. Now, this was the pick that the Seattle Seahawks, they got from uh, the Denver Broncos in exchange for Russell Wilson, which is kind of funny to think the fact that the Seahawks are finally going out there and trading up to go get a lineman, but they never did that when they had Russell Wilson. So it's kind of just one of those, eh, but whatever, I mean, he's not a bad pick. I haven't really seen too much tape on him. From what I've heard, he is a really solid kind of utility tool across the O-line. So I guess okay pick for the Seattle Seahawks. At number 10, the New York Jets, they took Garrett Wilson, wide receiver out of Ohio State. Now, Garrett Wilson could easily and probably should have won the Belenikoff Trophy in 2021. Him and Justin Fields, him and C.J. Stroud were absolutely amazing the past couple years at Ohio State. I mean, he's just going to fit right in. Now they have Zach Wilson who can throw a great deep ball and you know showed a lot of improvement towards the end of last season. I think this is just an amazing pair for the New York Jets as it now gives them Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, and then you still have Braxton Berrios in the slot. The New York Jets offense is starting to come around a little bit, so watch out for the J-E-T-S Jets to really, you know, kind of explode this season on offense. Now, now at number 11, the New Orleans Saints, they took Chris Olave, wide receiver out of Ohio State. Now, this is actually kind of cool seeing that two Buckeyes went back-to-back in picks, and they were both wide receivers. Now, New Orleans Saints, they actually traded up to get him, which I don't think they needed to trade up necessarily to get Chris Olave. I doubt really any of these teams under them were going to do anything to get him, but nothing less. Chris Olave was amazing at Ohio State and will obviously give a huge boost to that pretty slim New Orleans Saints um, wide receiver room. Not number 12, the Detroit Lions. They went out and took wide receiver out of Alabama, Jamison Williams. Now, Jamison Williams, he was a former Buckeye, but he himself said that he doesn't really claim Ohio State because whenever you ask him where he graduated from, it's going to say Alabama. So I'm not going to do what a lot of people are doing and saying three back-to-back-to-back. You know, wide receivers are taken out of Ohio State. I'm going to you know put him in Alabama, but nothing less. The Lions, they did have to move up, and they did pay a decent amount to get up there, but nothing less. Getting a guy like Jamison Williams who – once he transferred from Ohio State and came to Alabama, showed out in his lone year with the Crimson Tide. This was something they needed on offense. Definitely will help Jared Goff a little bit as well. So, in my opinion, it's an A-plus pick. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles were sitting prime right there to go and get him. I think they were trading up and trying to get him. But, you know, it kind of didn't work out that way. So, at 13, the Eagles, they went out and got Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of Georgia. Now, Jordan Davis is mostly known for his very unique size and the fact that he is ginormous, ginormous, and he's also pretty quick. I think he ran, I think, the 40 fashion like Patrick Mahomes or something. So, you know, pretty quick guy. And the fact that Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave are both entering free agency in 2023, it kind of left a huge gap there for next year. So they went ahead and got Jordan Davis, who could possibly be the successor to Fletcher Cox. So I think this is a great pick for the Philadelphia Eagles and then at 14 with one of the more steel picks of the draft the Baltimore Ravens they went out and got Kyle Hamilton safety out of Notre Dame now the safety room currently in Baltimore is really interesting because they do they still do have Chuck Clark and now they got Marcus Williams from the Saints but I think that the Baltimore Ravens they wanted to go younger and obviously the fact that Kyle Hamilton kind of fell into their hands at 14 they're like we, could, we have a generational talent right now with him because if you saw him at Notre Dame, 
he could get across the field in like two seconds. You know, that one pick he had against Florida State was kind of what made him, you know, kind of famous in a way, but nothing less. Baltimore continues to be great at drafting. Obviously, they'll probably end up moving on from Chuck Clark, but Kyle Hamilton will immediately fill that starting role and will allow for them to probably have one of the better safety duos in all of the NFL. Now at 15, the Houston Texans, they took Kenyon Green, offensive lineman out of Texas A&M. They needed a line help, and getting a guy like Kenyon Green has got great size and great potential. Made a lot of sense. Now at 16, the Washington Commanders, they took Jahan Dotson, wide receiver out of Penn State. Uh... Now, Jahan Dotson is a great receiver. I do think they did need another guy to tag team with Terry McLaurin, and then they got that guy out of Jahan Dotson. So not a horrible pick. I do think there's probably some better fits, but nothing less still a decent pick by the Commanders. And then at number 17, the Los Angeles Chargers, they took Zion Johnson, offensive lineman out of Boston College. Chargers want to continue to you know save Justin Herbert's career, and they're doing that. So in back-to-back years, they continue to pick O-linemen, and I definitely expect Zion to be really good with the Chargers. At 18, the Tennessee Titans, they took Traylon Burks, wide receiver out of Arkansas. Now, I knew the Cowboys were really high on Traylon. They wanted him to fall to him, but nothing less. Tennessee Titans, after they traded A.J. Brown, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the league, to the Philadelphia Eagles in exchange for their 18th pick, which I'll get into after we get done recapping the first round. They went out and got Traylon Burks, who literally has the same exact play style as A.J. Brown. So now they'll be pretty much getting a younger and cheaper version, which it made sense because A.J. Brown was going to want a ridiculous amount of money. Obviously, the Titans were being really stingy when it came to paying him. I think they only gave him $16 million. So when guys like Christian Kirk are getting paid 22 or I think it was like $20, 22000000 million a year, yeah, I'd be a little bit pissed too if I was pretty much top 10 in the league. Now at number 19, the New Orleans Saints, they took Trevor Penning, offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. Now this will probably end up being Teron Armstead's replacement. Now he is a very great physical and athletic tackle who had a lot of great improvement during the last his last year at Northern Iowa. He still has a lot of tech technique issues to clean up, but nothing less, he was one of the best tackles on the board, and obviously the Saints needed help in the tackle position, so they went out and got Trevor Penning. Now at number 20, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they went out and got Kenny Pickett, quarterback out of Pittsburgh. I definitely thought they were going to go Malik Willis simply for the fact that Malik Willis has pretty much the best upside out of any quarterback in this draft, but they went instead and got the homegrown kid in Kenny Pickett, and I think he'll do amazing. I really do not mind this at all. Pittsburgh needed, you know, a long-term quarterback in this offseason. Mitchell Trubisky was not going to be that. He was going to be more of a bridge-type quarterback. And instead, I guess they see, you know, a lot more success in Kenny Pickett going long-term, and they went out and got him. I think he'll do amazing. He's used to playing at Heinz Field, and he'll continue to play at Heinz Field. Now at, number, now at 21, the Kansas City Chiefs, they took Trent McDuffie, cornerback out of Washington. Definitely don't think they needed to move up necessarily to get Trent McDuffie, but they needed corner help. They lost Traverius Ward to the San Francisco 49ers, which does leave a huge gap in the outside. And getting a guy like Trittman Duffy, who was very good at his time as Washington, and pairing him up now with second-year um, cornerback in Legereus Sneed. The Chiefs are kind of building that secondary back a little bit. I know they lost uh, Matthew, who's still currently in free agency, but they did go out and get Justin Reed, and now they've got two decent starting cornerbacks. Now at 22, the Green Bay Packers, they went out and got Quay Walker, inside linebacker at Georgia. Now this is the one thing that started to worry me when I didn't see N'Kobe Dean get picked over Quay Walker. I was starting to you know wonder about it, which I'll talk about the whole N'Kobe Dean thing here a little bit later. Um, 
Nakobe or not Nakobe Dean, Quay Walker was actually the first linebacker picked in this whole draft, which kind of shocked me because I did not expect this at all. I thought Christian Harris out of Alabama and Nakobe Dean out of Georgia deserved it more, but Green Bay they kind of do need a little bit of linebacker help. I know they still have Devondre Campbell. They don't. They didn't have. They don't have Christian Kirks anymore, who went to Houston. But I definitely think they still needed help. Aaron Rodgers, when it came to wide receiver help, which they did end up getting a wide receiver in the second round, Christian Watson out of uh, South or North Dakota State, who a lot of people were really high on. So they did go out and get him, but they still needed a wide receiver, and I think the first round was a prime opportunity to get one. Not 23, the Buffalo Bills. They selected Kair Elam, cornerback out of Florida. Now. The Bills have loved, and I mean, they've said it numerous times, they've loved this year's corner class. And the fact that they traded up to get him does not shock me at all. Uh, he had a really impressive, I think it was, yeah, really impressive interview with the Bills where he pretty much gave them his whole notebook and said, look, here's all the notes I take. I promise you I'm one of the more hardworking players in this year's draft. And the Bills loved him so much that now they're going to have him and Tredavious White in their secondary. And I think that's going to be really deadly considering the fact that they lost Levi Wallace to Pittsburgh. They needed someone to immediately fill that role, and getting a guy like Kair, who was a projected first-round pick anyway to begin this year, great pick for the Buffalo Bills. Now 24, the Dallas Cowboys, they took Tyler Smith, offensive lineman, out of Tulsa. Once again, this is more about NFL potential than it was about college success. Tyler dealt with a lot of penalty issues, a lot of holding issues while his time in Tulsa. I think he had 12 penalties in 12 games, but Jerry Jones and the whole Dallas Cowboys front office, they love the raw athletic potential that he brings to the table. Now, he has a long time, and I mean a long time until he's ready to play in the NFL. I don't expect him to play really at all next year. But he he has a lot of power. He has a lot of strength. And if they do end up moving on from Tyron Smith, he could possibly end up being his replacement. So I think they're kind of looking at him as more of a project, which could possibly work out. So I don't want to give up on him immediately, but... Once again, I do still think there was some better alignment to pick in this year's draft. Now, the Baltimore Ravens at 25, they went out and got Tyler Linderbaum center out of Iowa. This just continues to add to the Ravens' stack draft class that they had this year, already getting Kyle Hamilton, who surprisingly fell to 14. Now they get arguably the best offensive lineman in the whole 2022 class. Now at 26, the New York Jets, they went on and got Jermaine Johnson, edge rusher out of Florida State. If you If the name, if the name sounds familiar, that's because – uh, Jermaine, he was featured on season three of Last Chance U on Netflix, the famous series. And once again, Joe Douglas and the whole Jet staff, they had arguably the best draft this year, the best draft class this year. I mean, even their later rounds were still fantastic and amazing. And if y'all want to look them up, definitely go look up the full. I just want to give you all the first round at least. But yeah, the Jets, if there's any notes to take out of this draft, the Jets had the best draft class this year in my opinion. The Ravens are alongside with them. The, the Bills as well are alongside with them. They had a lot of great late-round gems, but nothing less. The Jets just, surprisingly, they're able to know how to draft. I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> but then at 27, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars again. They went out and got Devin Lloyd inside linebacker out of Utah. Devin will probably end up being Miles Jack's replacement after Miles Jack went to uh, he went to Pittsburgh. Lloyd is definitely a do-it-all kind of linebacker. I mean, you need him here, here, and here. He'll be here, here, and here. So I think he'll be a great leader in the locker room as well, which the Jaguars have been needing on defense for a long time. And I don't think it's a bad pick at all. I don't hate the fact they went out and got Devin Lloyd over N'Kobe Dean. Devin Lloyd has a lot more, I guess, upside potential, really, because he's still 
still kind of raw in a way, but he's already proved enough that you know he's a great leader, and I think the Jacksonville Jaguars look at him as more of a locker room guy than anything, which they desperately needed bad. And then at 28, the Green Bay Packers, they went out and got Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle out of Georgia. Now this is where it started to worry a lot of Packer fans because they just had back-to-back defensive players when they needed, you know, some help on the offensive side of the ball now that they traded Devontae Adams. And now I know they've needed some defensive linemen. Not shocking at all. Devontae Wyatt was arguably a better, you know, rusher than um, Jordan Davis, who got picked by the Eagles earlier on in the draft. But I do think they still should have tried and gone out and got a, you know, a wide receiver before they've gone and get some of these defensive tackles. Because I think Devontae Wyatt could have fell to them in the second round. Now at 29, and this one, this one just made no sense unless Bill Belichick is just a mad genius. The New England Patriots at 29 took Cole Strange, offensive lineman out of Tennessee Chattanooga. I, I don't know. I really don't. Now Bill Belichick might be doing something amazing behind doors and we just don't know it yet. Or they're kind of just doing it to blow smoke or something. I, I genuinely have no clue why they took him. Maybe it's because he sees he sees him as a great long, 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 long term. But the Rams literally mocked them for saying they. The Rams literally said we thought he was going to end up at 104. So the fact they took a guy that was projected to go fourth and fifth round and they took him with the 29th pick when you have so many other holes you need to fix over guys like Nicobe Dean who y'all still need linebacker help. It just made no sense. So unless Bill Belichick's a mad genius, which for some reason he is. This pick made no sense at all. So this is one of the worst picks in this year's draft. At 30, the Kansas City Chiefs, they went out and got George Karloftis, edge rusher out of Purdue. Amazing pick, obviously. Melvin Ingram currently is in free agency. They need someone to fill that position. So now that they're teaming him up with Chris Johnson, Chris, Chris Johnson, Chris Jones as well in the inside, Kansas City Chiefs are just you know reloading. They're not rebuilding. Then they're using all these picks that they got out of the whole Tyreek Hill trade to their advantage. So great pick for the Kansas City Chiefs and then at 31 the Cincinnati Bengals they went on and got Daxton Hill safety out of Michigan with well and you probably wonder why would they draft safety they have Jesse Bates well Jesse Bates and the Cincinnati Bengals are at a weird position because the Bengals just franchised him franchise tagged him for the second year in a row and they really don't know exactly how long he will be with be with them if they even re-sign him you know during the offseason now Dax Hill he has great great speed, has great playmaking ability, and he's already seeming to be a fan favorite in Cincinnati, so I give it like a B. It's a decent pick. They needed, obviously, some secondary help. You know, Eli Apple, not the greatest, but they can also move him to DB as well, so great pick by the Cincinnati Bengals, and then at 32 to finish off the first round, the Minnesota Vikings, they went out and got Louis Sign, safety out of Georgia. Now, Louis Sign is more of a physical, instinctive type safety, which Obviously, Harrison Smith, the other safety, star safety for the Vikings, is the same exact way. So, I think it was more of a scheme fit. It wasn't the best player available. It was more of what the Broncos, not what the Broncos, what the Vikings needed. And, obviously, Lewis seen fit right into that position. And they went out and got him. So, yeah, that is the first round of the 2022 draft. It was not horrible. I do think there's a lot of controversial moments, considering the fact that Kobe Dean didn't even get picked until the third round by the Eagles and then you had guys like Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis and even Sam Howell who didn't get picked until the I think yeah, the third and then fifth round with Sam Howell going to the Commanders. 
it was really weird the fact that all of those guys were projected late first round, early second round picks, and they didn't even end up making it in the first three. So, Nicobe Dean, I understand he has some injury concerns for a lot of teams, which he said he'll be ready by training camp, so it doesn't make sense why they didn't take a chance on him. I think they didn't because they didn't want to tie so much money up to him, and then he ends up getting injured and injured and injured and injured, but they still owe him all that money, which that part makes sense. But the potential and talent that he brings to the table, and we even saw it at Georgia, the leadership he brings as well, kind of similar to Devin Lloyd, you can't pass up on that, especially in, in the late second round when you already know he's going to be off the boards by the third at latest. It was just a really weird situation, and I'm glad N'Kobe Dean Gibb did get picked up, but man, was that just a dumb situation, the fact that he didn't even you know, get picked in the first three rounds. Now, for the two blockbuster trades that actually did happen on round one night, the first trade that happened was between the Baltimore Ravens and the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Baltimore Ravens, they traded wide receiver Marquise Hollywood Brown in the in the 100th pick to the Arizona Cardinals in exchange for the Cardinals' 23rd pick. Now, apparently Marquise had come to the Ravens' front office and told him and said, hey, I want to trade. I don't feel like I fit in the scheme anymore. I'm not getting as many touches as I want, and... They decided to trade him away, got a 23rd out of it. Obviously, Marquise is going on in the final year of his rookie deal. They probably were not going to pay him anyway, so it's better to get some value of, out of him right now that you can. Uh, he's going to fit in very well with the Arizona Cardinals. The fact that he did play with Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, obviously they already have the chemistry there. So that Cardinals wide receiver room is looking scary. The fact that they now have D-Hop, Marquise Brown, A.J. Green, they still have Andy Isabella, but he's looking to get probably traded here in the next couple days. But, yeah, watch out for the Cardinals offensively. Now, that depends on if Kyler Murray, you know, he plays good the first half of the season, drops drastically in the second, and then ends up choking in the playoffs. I'm hoping that's not the case. I want to see the Cardinals succeed, but I just don't know if Kyler Murray is going to be able to, you know, play up to that type of level in the playoffs where it really counts. Now the second trade and obviously and honestly the biggest trade that happened during the NFL draft was between the Tennessee Titans and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now as you remember the Tennessee Titans they took Traylon Burks the you know 18th overall which was originally the Eagles pick, but the Eagles started to say, "Hey, we need a wide receiver." And you know, there's an amazing all-pro Pro Bowl wide receiver available via trade. We're going to go out and go get him. So the Tennessee Titans, they traded wide receiver A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles for the 18th and third round picks. Or 18th and third round pick. So definitely fixes a huge hole that the Eagles had in the wide receiver room. Obviously, Devontae Smith was a huge get for him last year in last year's draft, but they still needed someone to tag along with them. Jalen Rager, unfortunately, is not going to be that answer. So they decided to go out and go get A.J. Brown, and they didn't really give up that much to get him. Now, the Eagles, they will also be giving A.J. Brown a four-year, $100 million contract extension, which will pay him about roughly $25 million a year. Definitely deserves it. He's one of the better wide receivers in the league. Now, if he can stay healthy, he'll definitely be worth the contract, but if he continues to deal with you know, injury issues, which it seems like all Eagles players do once they once they get on the Eagles. He won't. But he brings a lot of talent. He's obviously proven in the league. He's proven to be, you know, he set himself as one of the better wide receivers in the whole league. So I mean I don't I don't mean to keep repeating myself, but the fact that the Titans 
it made sense for both sides. The Titans knew he wasn't going to come back to them. They were not going to pay him the money he wanted, so they tried to get value out of him while they can. Instead, they went out and got his replacement, Traylon Burks, who could possibly put up the same amount of production. So it was a win-win, in my opinion, for both teams because now the Eagles, they got Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. They still have Jalen Rager. So they're still a solid offense. I think Jalen Rager will probably be better off being in the slot now. Now, I know he's an outside guy, but if he can make a transition to the slot – It'll definitely, you know, it'll probably help his career in the fact that Howie Roseman, the GM of the Eagles, already said that he's not looking to trade Jalen Rager as of this moment. That'll be good because he could possibly revive his career and allow Eagle fans to, you know, love him again, which I do think Eagle fans need to chill out because it's not like he chose to be picked in the first round. I mean, he wanted, I mean, obviously everyone wants to get picked in the first round. But the fact, it's not his fault that he was chosen before Justin Jefferson, who who has become an all-pro wide receiver with the Vikings. So just, anyway... That was easily one of the biggest trades of the offseason, you know, going in, you know, with guys like Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams. I genuinely thought that the Titans and A.J. Brown would get things figured out, but I guess they just didn't want to see eye to eye. Now, for the final trade, and this is kind of just a smaller trade, the Cleveland Browns, they're trading cornerback Troy Hill back to the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for next year's fifth-round pick. So the Rams, they get more secondary help after losing guys like Darius, Darius Williams to the Jaguars and free agency. So, decent trade for both sides. Now, I'm going to kind of go a little bit faster to get through us this news because I don't want y'all to be here for all day. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're actually declining all of their 20, 2019 first-round picks, fifth-year options, which includes running back Josh Jacobs, defensive end Clean Farrell, and safety Jonathan Abram, who have all dealt with a numerous amount of injury issues, who've, who've had decent seasons. Jonathan's kind of completely... He, he's pretty much non-existent anymore. Cleveland Farrell is the same. He's kind of gotten pushed down the depth chart. And then Josh Jacobs Josh Jacobs kind of kind of confused me a little bit. Now, the Raiders, they did go on draft Zamir White, the running back out of Georgia in the fourth round, who possibly could end up being Josh Jacobs' replacement. So, I don't really know. I think they're probably just trying to look, you know, look in a different direction. They don't want to pay Josh Jacobs a lot of money for him just to completely stay injured and never play and also not have the same production as he had a couple years ago. So, yeah, just kind of interesting because, I mean, they declined all of their first round or uh, fifth-year options. Now, the next news we have, it's regarding the bank, the Cincinnati Bengals. They're exercising offensive tackle Jonah Williams' fifth-year option. Jonah Williams, after you know he suffered a torn ACL during his rookie year, he bounced back with Joe Burrow, and he showed signs of improvement. I know he still struggled throughout the 2021 season, but the talent's still there. The raw potential when he came out of Alabama is still there, and I think he'll be great as a solidified tackle for the Bengals going forward with him and Joe Burrow. Now, the next news we have, it's regarding the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers are exercising defensive end Rashawn Gary and safety Darnell Savage's fifth-year option. Rashawn Gary's kind of revitalized his career as well, and then Darnell's pretty much been consistent with the Packers throughout his whole rookie contract, so great keeps for the Green Bay Packers. Now, the next news we have is regarding the Chicago Bears. The Bears are releasing quarterback Nick Foles. They tried to trade him. No one wanted to trade him simply probably because of his contract, and the Bears said, you know what, screw it. We're just going to get rid of you, get rid of you right now, and that's what they did. Now, the final NFL news we have, it's regarding DeMonte Casey. Now, safety DeMonte Casey, he is signing a one-year deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a great rotational piece for the Cowboys this past year, and he'll immediately fill another great rotational you know, rotational role with the Pittsburgh Steelers come the 2022 season. Now, guys, that is it for today's NFL news. I know today's episode is a little bit lengthy. I'm sorry. I wanted to make sure I got you all, all the news about the NFL draft because – 
boy, were there a lot and a lot and a lot of news that happened during the first couple days of the draft. Now, let's get into some MLB news. Now, the Los Angeles Dodgers right-handed pitcher Trevor Bauer. Now, in case you don't know, he's going through a whole lawsuit, sexual assault, domestic violence lawsuit, which has been going on for, I think, roughly almost a year now, I think. Well, the MLB finally made their decision, and they have suspended him for two seasons without pay after he violated their um, policy on sexual assault and domestic violence. So, and obviously, of course, Trevor is appealing this decision because he still pleads his innocence, which could possibly still be true because I think legally he, he he was proven innocent, but the MLB probably, you know, continue to keep a great image as, hey, we're not going to tolerate anyone that even has any type of um, rumors about him. So, I kind of want to keep my nose out of that whole situation because it's kind of it's kind of it's one of those situations where it's more opinion based because we really don't have too many facts. I know there was a picture of the girl and her face was badly beaten in, which if it's true, I hope he does get punished for what he did. But if it does come out false, I hope I hope the people that lied are accountable. So it's one of those situations where I just want to wait and see the final decision legally wise because if he's just proven you know innocent and there's nothing there that you know that says he was guilty of committing that crime, he should not be suspended two years. I understand if he's suspended a couple games like 30 games or something yeah that's fine that makes sense but it's just i don't know now the next news we have it's regarding clayton kershaw so this is actually some good los angeles dodgers news clayton kershaw finally became the los angeles dodgers strikeout leader with 2697 strikeouts after he struck out um, torkelson for the tigers so congratulations clayton on a obviously a Hall of Fame career, and he finally is a strikeout leader for the Dodgers. Now, the final news we have, it's regarding the New York Mets. Now, the Mets, I think it was on Friday, on Friday, the New York Mets, they threw the season's first no-hitter. It was a combined no-hitter. Edwin Diaz, he finished it out as a closer, getting the save. I'm really, I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing from the uh, from the Mets this year. I, I did not expect them to be in the position they're, right, they're in right now, first in the NL East. I thought the the, at least the Phillies would probably possibly give them a run for their money, especially the Braves as well. Now that they got Acuna back, they got Olsen and all of them. So, New York Mets fans, I'm happy for you. I'm happy your team is finally playing up to the level they need to, especially after all that money you spent getting guys like Mac, Mac, Max Scherzer and then Starling Marte. It's definitely paying off. Now, guys, I really do hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I tried not to make it as lengthy, but there's just so much news that I had to be able to get to y'all, and I'm glad that I was able to actually get it all to y'all. Now, before y'all do head out, please make sure that you do check out the official Instagram and TikTok of the Cover 7 with the Mason Pierce podcast at Cover 7 with the Mason Pierce. And please make sure that you tell everyone about the podcast because I want to be able to talk sports with all of you guys. I want to be able to enjoy the great world of sports that we do live in. And just continue to kind of bomb with all y'all. Now, guys, I hope y'all have a fantastic Monday. I hope y'all have a fantastic start to y'all's week. Remember, continue to be amazing. And I'll see y'all back here on Wednesday. Peace.